Oh my gosh, what's up you freaking nerds? That's right, it's me, Mackin, and I've come back to bully you all. Hey, that's right, yeah, you suck. Welcome to my podcast, you suck. Happy Sad Talk Thing, Hardcore Chit Chat, Happy Sad Talk Thing, Podcast for No One, Happy Sad Talk Thing, Podcast for Me, Happy Sad Talk Thing, Podcast for Thee, question mark? Only time will tell, sweet friend. We are fucking back in it, doing the motherfucking podcast. I, you know, it. I, I come crawling back. I come crawling back. This time, my most recent departure was announced. You gotta, you gotta give me that. I did say, hey, gonna take a little break. It did end up being like two or three months or something. Um, but yeah, I finished my record. It's all being done. And I recorded a couple eps before Big Hiatus, and this is one of those. Uh, and it's a fantastic episode with my wonderful friend Maxine Phoenix. Um, she's an incredible actor, uh, organizer, poet. You, we'll, we'll get to all the things. Um, she fucking rips. And yeah, th- it was interesting because like this was recorded... Hmm, maybe like May or something, uh, over a month ago. Um, maybe this was even April. You'll kind of get the vibe from how we're talking. Like, we're, we're still talking about, you know, quarantine was more intense at this time, you know? So it was uh, just interesting listening back and being like, wow, things have changed relatively quickly. This is maybe two months old. You know what, guys? I could look up the date. <laughs> I think it's early May or late April. We'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, that's, I think, um, context only and just the like, wow, yeah. Our, our hearts and our minds, they change so quickly. Um, and it's just interesting listening to this and feeling like it is an episode ago, you know? A chapter ago. I'm reading books now, everyone. It's the truth. I have built so much shtick around being bad at book. And here's the thing. I'm starting to realize book is actually kind of nice. You know? No one's doing ads on me when I'm in book. That I like. That's different than anywhere else. Um, Unless you have a Kindle, then they freaking do ad on front of book. Which make me mad book also nice i yeah i guess just not on my phone is nice um but yeah i had all you know i had so many like oh i'm, I'm freaking bad at reading but i'm not anti-intellectual blah 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 blah, blah. I had this whole this whole shtick of personality is just like I'm a baby. I like video games, and now I'm now I'm starting to enjoy book. And I've decided that if I call it book, I can kind of like maintain my uh, dumb guy persona that I've crafted so meticulously. Um, but yeah, what book are you enjoying? A happy side talk thing, friend. Um, I simply have to get out of this intro or I will die. Um, but I love you all. Uh, back on my bullshit here, and I'm excited to be doing exactly that. It's the motherfucking summertime. We this this we love, you know? Staring out my staring out my window. And uh Yeah, I can see some nice trees. 
The trees. The trees are with us always. All right, here's my fantastic friend, Maxine Phoenix. She absolutely rips. She crushes the quarantine conversation from a little bit ago. And we talk about making art in different forms, routine stuff, the the classic heart-mind insights you've come to know and appreciate from this podcast. And uh, yeah, Max is fucking sick. And here's uh, here's our conversation. I love you all, and I'll see you tonight. That fucking rips. When we're great, we love being great. We love being great. How are you? How's your Wednesday? What's Thursday. This? Oh, my God. I d- believed you when you said Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm i doing all right. I, um, I'm i a little burned out. I'm feeling mm. nice today. Yesterday, I was a little out of gas, but I think I'm on, think I'm on the ups. I'm enjoying this uh, chicken sh- shirt that you have on. Thank you. It's a and Wilco shirt. Oh! Yeah. Yes. Love Wilco. Love Wilco. Me too. Wilco's the best. What is going on? How was your day? How do you start your day? Um, how did I start my day or how do I start my day? Both. Whatever. Um, let's see. Today, today I got up pretty early. I've been doing this like alarm thing that's built in with the iPhones where it's a bird song. Yeah. And I find that, oh, you know, yeah. it starts the day off on a little bit of a nicer note than the, like, blaring alarms, which make me feel like I'm in the middle of the Titanic sinking. Um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. So, I had... I feel like the bird sounds are the least hateable alarms. Like, I will grow to hate any alarm, but birds, I'm less mad exactly. at for some reason. And sometimes, because where I live, there's lots of actual birds. I don't know if it's real birds or my alarm. And then it's really <laughs> nice, because I get genuinely yeah. tricked. That Love that. But yeah, start What time are you waking up? Today, 7.30. Usually like Damn. 7, between 7 and 8. Yeah. Have you always been that I way? No. I was going to say yes. I think I was as a child. And then college really sent me on like a weird schedule. I always had night classes. So I became yeah. one of those people that would like sleep till, you know, 11, 12, and then have my day go yeah. till like 2 a.m. and then do it all over again. Yeah. And then yeah, since yeah, yeah. pandemic times, I've become a like 10 p.m. bed person and a 7 a.m. rise person. And it's really weird, but I like it. That's fucking sick. So, Honestly, inspirational. Yeah. I feel like that's what I'm trying to get <laughs> with my life. It helps having a dog to wake up a little early, <laughs> but I've been sleeping in a little woken up? By the dog. I've been been woken up by Flo recently. I'm watching this dog Aww, uh, for the podcast listeners. She's very very sweet. Um, she she gently uh, will lick my face in the morning. It's a very nice way to That's wake lovely. up. That's um, lovely. 
It's better yeah, than the birds, she honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she apparently her parents were like uh, our owners were like, oh yeah, she loves to sleep in. You know, you could sleep in till like seven thirty. She'll she's cool, and I'm like, Jesus, you guys, seven thirty sleeping in. Some people, Ooh. you know, I think they get up at like six. It's the life of a dog well. person. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Where are you from? I am from Chicago. Speaking of Wilco, um, I okay. was, Oh, hell yeah. 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 Born and raised in the Midwest. Damn. That's yeah. awesome. Um, and Why do I think that you're from... London and or Boston. I am because I'm are these also, also important places. Yes, they are also places that I'm from. Okay. So when I was nine, um, our family moved us overseas to the UK. Yeah. And my brother and I uh, were there and we lived there until I just started high school. And then we moved to Boston and I did high school there and then came out to California. Well, damn. All that rips. Thanks. <laughs> what was it like growing up in Chicago? Oh, man. Chicago is amazing. It's, I think, my favorite city in the United States. I just love it so much. Um, we lived slightly outside of the city. We, every weekend, would go to the uh, Field Museum. If you're familiar with Chicago, that's the... I have no idea what that is. Oh, my God. It's amazing. It's full of dinosaurs. And in the opening of the museum, there's this giant T-Rex named Sue named after the woman Sue. that found it. Yeah, amazing. And it made me want to be a paleontologist until the time I realized that I could be an artist and like have that be a job. Um, but until that age, yeah. I wanted to yeah. discover dinosaurs. Yeah, you wanted to find Max the big T-Rex. Exactly. Max That's the T-Rex. So yeah. Yeah, it was nice. It's, it's a cool city because I feel like it has all the charm and the city vibe and the culture of somewhere like New York um, with incredible museums mm -hmm. and incredible little districts inside the city and, you know, this lake that it's on, Lake Michigan, so beautiful. I don't know another city that's mm -hmm. on a lake like that, but it's Midwest. Yeah. So everyone's super kind right. and laid back and it's just, it's mm. really wonderful there. I miss it a lot. That's so sick. I hope to spend more time there in my life. I feel like everyone that I've heard talk about it talks about it in that way of like having the cosmopolitan thing, but also the Midwestern thing. Just seems legendary. It is. It's cool. I it, I want to live there again someday as an adult. Hopefully, I have a chance to. But who knows? <laughs> How was it when you were there recently? It was really. Awesome. It was different. Obviously, I haven't been back in Chicago for a hot minute. And yeah, so I, I'm not used to the weather. Um, we're so spoiled right. here in LA. And I'm always like, Oh, my God, it's freezing. It's 61. And being back yeah. in Chicago, where you know, it was it was 43 in, uh, in March was Word. really wonderful, but also a wake up call to how lucky we are to get this sort of weather on the daily in Los Angeles. So totally. It's like, yes, I get to wear a sweatshirt today. Yes. It feels so good. The other day when it was raining, <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, the skies are gloomy. I love this. So I feel like it was a good reset for LA appreciation, which always happens whenever we mm. leave the city, like every time. Yeah. Truth. 
I'm, I return. When and did like, you <laughs> go from, I want to find dinosaurs to, I want to be an artist? Oh, yes. Um, I was in, I think, third grade or fourth grade, right before we moved. Um, and I did a production of Grease Jr. And I'd never done a play and I was horrible but I was Rizzo and that is like the best part in the show. I mean, so fun. No, no pressure. I, they took out the song, look at me, I'm Sandra D because I don't think that's kid friendly. And so I didn't have to sing because I was a horrible singer. And, um, I was like, Oh man, I really like this. Uh, what is acting? And then it kind of led to other things. That's so sick. I don't know why I realized this the other day. Some people pronounce grease, grease, grease? and they say like greasy. Gre- greasy, I, I've heard of greasy. I don't know why it makes me upset. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> but I was thinking about the musical Grease. I was like, nobody is calling this musical Grease. That's for damn sure. Grease. Maybe, hey, you, you should try to keep track of, of where your friends are from. Maybe it's like a regional thing. Maybe it is. I think this it's this one guy on this podcast. He's from actually I don't know where he's from. Damn. Do you have any weird pronunciation things where you're like envelope? Oh, I know I have one of my own. I I say yeah. salsa and it's definitely or, wrong. I I feel like I get that from my family. Like we all mispronounce names. My yeah. mom trying to say Benedict Cumberbatch is like a nightmare. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> I'm already inheriting that. I'm like, oh, God, I'm pronouncing everything wrong. I'm sure from, like, Chicago to London to Boston (laughs) and wherever your parents are from, that's, like, a lot of different vernaculars. Lots of different accents. When I moved back to the States when I was 14, I said basil and aluminum for a couple of years. Got that, you know, bully right out of me. (laughs) The basil bullies. The basil bullies. It's a thing. Nobody likes a basil in America. Like a basil. I might start. I might switch to basil. Basil's very fun. Basil and herb. Herb. Yeah, the Brits say herb. Aubergine. Aubergine. I love aubergine. Courgette. Come on, come on. And what capsicum? is courgette? I feel like I definitely hear that. Courgette is okay. zucchini, Hello. and then capsicum Trico. is pepper. Capsicum. Yeah, Holy capsicum. Shit. If you want to like spice up your vegetable life, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I got to step up my vegetable game. Mm. I feel like that's my next evolution is like farmer's market, vegetable person. I've just been starting to do imperfect foods and I highly recommend it. It's one of those things where they send you like a box of all the avocados that got rejected from the farm that would otherwise be thrown away. And there's something very endearing about it to me. Like all the vegetables are either really small or kind of wonky and it's nice. And it's all, I think it's, I feel like this is an accidental plug for Imperfect Foods. Sponsor Mackin, guys. Um, That's right. Offer code, <laughs> it's me. Um, but I think it's all California local produce as well. But if you're looking to get That's into sick. like the farmer's market vibe, but still want to stay safe mm. as per the pandemic, it's still happening. I've heard about this thing yeah. going on. <laughs> no one will tell me what it is, but I, everyone keeps talking about it. No one it. will let you out of the basement. It's probably good. You should yeah. stay in there. <laughs> Come back out in 2022. I think it'll be a little bit better. 
<laughs> how has your um how has it been for you in the past year? Oh man. Um that is a complicated question because Of course it is. I, and there's yeah. I think there's lots <laughs> of different, you know, there's lots of different layers. There's like the layer of being a person in this world, which obviously is really hard right now. Um I'm I'm yeah. lucky to be I'm lucky to be safe and healthy and have the people that I love be healthy, but it's, you know, it's a, it's tough right now. Um, yeah. But that being said, I am grateful that personally, you know, it's been, it's been a hard time, but there's also been so much beauty in it as well. And yeah. um, I'm, I'm lucky to have found a good routine and, um, really amazing, you know, friends, <laughs> the same, same friends, but, uh, strengthened, you know, friendships and, and found people yeah. to like get through this thing together, even if it's on FaceTime, because, Hey, it's still seeing another human. We love it. Yeah. I, I gotta get more into FaceTime. It's hard. I want to hear about this routine. My routine. You got to hit me with this routine. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, We're waking up 7.30-ish. Waking up 7.30-ish. Um, birds birds are chirping. Birds are chirping. I, I slam the birds to be quiet in a very gentle shut up, gentle birds. slam. Shut, shut up, birds. <laughs> um, get out of bed. Make my bed. Always try to make it in the morning. Um, I am a New York Times girl, so I'll, I'll read the, the daily New York Times in my inbox. Do the crossword. Every day, I'm a nerd. Nice. I do the mini crossword. Damn, that rocks. I, I love it. Nice. I always try to like challenge myself to see if I can get under a minute. Sometimes I do really well. Other mornings, depending on when I've had my coffee, I feel like it either is you know over or under a minute. So that's it. Yeah, and then I I usually um, depending on if I have auditions or uh, meetings or anything that day, I'll schedule my day I'll, I'll write for most of the day because that's sort of my my uh my thing right now um fuck yeah yeah or you know i'll film kind an of audition or um i yeah. am working on um a couple of things right now um i've been refining and getting a feature ready to start pitching which is super exciting and yeah, very fun, very fun, very weird. Yeah. Um, my previous That's stuff it. has been um, a couple of pilots. Um, so mm -hmm. writing, you know, writing a feature and finishing it and getting it to a good place is, is very different because I feel like, you know, mm. not that there's more pressure because it's always like we put the pressure on ourselves more than anyone else puts on us, but there's definitely more of a feeling like, Oh, this has to be at a really good place. Whereas with TV, I feel like the whole thing with when you write and pitch a pilot is you're trying to sell the idea. Mm. And if someone mm. really likes the idea and they like the vision of you have what that you have um, for the whole season, then they're willing to work around any scenes that don't work or characters that may you may end up cutting but with a feature at least from what i've experienced these past couple of months it's really like oh man i gotta go out with this thing pretty fully formed right like one of those garlic breads you buy where it's like already baked and then you put it in the oven just for five minutes and then Taking it gets crisp screenplay. <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> that's so sick is it your first is this the first movie you've written it is the first 
first full movie I've written. Yeah, I've written That's so some shorts, sure. and I tried to write a movie uh, in college and never yeah. finished it. That's one of those things that I'm like, oh, God, I'll revisit that like 10 years from now. But this is the first mm. fully formed child. And yeah, exciting. it's got to be wild, too, like in terms of different mediums like you're still taking it to someone that will or and like it will be made into something else um is that whack is that wild it is very very weird and i i wonder if you feel this this way too if you've ever had this experience with with songwriting or or with you know creating music that ultimately you're either selling or giving to someone else and helping them shape it and it doesn't end up being mm. necessarily yours. You know, I'm, I'm super young and I do want to direct someday, but I have no idea what I'm doing and I feel like I have a long road to go. So this is something where I'm like, okay, if I, if I sell it, knock on wood, someone else is going to take it on as, as their child and, mm. um, shape it the way that they want it to be, which is really cool, but it is, an interesting thing because there's only so much I can be in control of. I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell this story to the best of my ability. But then, you know, at a certain point, unless, you know, you're also involved with um, producing or directing the project, it's sort of out of your hands. And so it's a weird feeling. Yeah, totally. I it's, it's weird with songwriting because it's like, if you're like making the recording as well, that's kind of like the the final thing and yeah. like but there have been times where like other people like write a song and somebody else will make it into a recording and they'll kind of rewrite some stuff and it is weird being like oh well you <laughs> that's you guys did your own thing but like it's also cool and like hey i remember that yeah and i feel like with po- and i know you write poetry mm-hmm. as well and i feel like poetry's sick because when you're like presenting it I I was doing this like poetry workshop for a second and like sometimes like songwriters would come and sometimes I would like show songs and there's like this weird sort of, and I wonder what this is like with like screenwriting. Um, but with the poem, it's like, okay, it's words on a page. Yeah. And then sometimes they're spoken aloud and like that, this is the final form, you know? And then songwriting, like you can, you can really be like, when we record it, there's going to be big drums right here and you got to like, <laughs> You just imagine the sickest drums on this or whatever. Like, there's going to be a whole nother process on top of it. So it's like sometimes just hard to be like, what is this? Is this the thing? Is this the blueprint for the thing? I feel you on that. I really do. That's not too far off from how I feel with, with, you know, writing writing for film or TV. It's like, Mm. oh, man, you just really want to a certain extent, you know, I, I obviously want the script to be fun to read and I want, you know, whoever's reading it to have a good experience and to enjoy themselves. But to a certain point that you're right, that's only the blueprint and the finished product, you know, is something that who knows where it'll go from the words on the page. But I think as much as I can try and and help the reader visualize it, the better same thing with poetry. I always mm. try to be conscious of that where I'm like, okay, 
I want to make sure this is structured and formatted if I'm going to use punctuation or if I'm not, or if I'm going to use capitalization or if I'm not, or just right, the, right. even just the, the spacing, the line spacing to try and have it on the page in a way that informs how it could be read aloud. Um, totally. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So like acting or with like a screen it's like oh it's gonna be acting it's gonna be there's another interpretation on top of this both poems like you just gotta put that in the words gotta put it in the words that's the mind-blowing shit to me (laughs) that i like when i was going to those workshops and like i feel like i feel like whenever i'm talking to poets they just like really are they get down to that like granular level and that sometimes as a songwriter, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll sing it good or something. <laughs> you know, I'll like put of like, five we'll minutes later. Post. Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. So that's oh, like we'll always. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's always inspiring to me uh, when the poets are like, nah, dude, put it, put it in the words, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's also something to be said about, I remember someone telling me this, I think in high school, one of my English teachers there's never going to be a final version. There's never going to be a a finished draft of anything you do. Everything is a draft. Everything is just the next draft. Mm. Like it's up to you as the artist ultimately to decide when you want to release your thing to the world. And it's just another draft that you're releasing. It's not like, Oh, this is exactly how the song is supposed to be. Like, you could right. return to it a year later and say, oh, man, I, I wish that I had added drums or I, I wish that I, you know, extended this part of the song. Clearly, I know so much about music. I'm I'm uh, my vernacular is great. No. <laughs> <laughs> that No, that's I mean, that's what it is. Like I do. I do like the idea of someone that like meant to do drums. And then you get to the end of the record. You're like, fuck, we forgot drums on the whole record. <laughs> But I t- I'm I'm like finishing up a record right now and I'm going through there's like some times where I'm like, should I have added drums? Like is it gonna be done? Like that exact shit you're talking yeah. about where you're like as the it's all just another draft and I'm like, how many more like revisions do I do before it's like before it's done? Oh my god. And then when as the artist do I decide that is done? And it's I think there's like a lot of times where I want like a creative guarantee. Mm. I'm like, if I go over it in enough times, it'll, it'll be a hundred percent successful, guaranteed, great. And I'm trying to like let go of that more and just be like, it's going to be a risk. You got to shoot your shot. It's always going to be a risk. And I think it's always going to, well, maybe not always, but oftentimes our art is still going to make us feel vulnerable and weird. And I don't know. Mm. I don't know if that ever goes away. Maybe if you play a song like a thousand times and then you sell it to Universal like Bob Dylan, then the fear will go away. But until that point, it's like it's still going to be, oh, God, could I have done more? Should I have done more? And I think the answer is, you know, no. Like that is still it's still you. And and it's always scary to share ourselves and what we're working on. What has that process of like finishing things as an artist then like for you and how has it like changed over the years? That is a great question. Um, I think something that I've actually learned over this past year is that for me, something I very, I very much value in art and that I'm trying to bring into my own art in different ways is vulnerability 
like I just was talking about and rawness. And I think that in the past I've, and I still struggle with this sometimes, I have this idea of really wanting something to be perfect and not have any mistakes and not have any flaws. And that comes from a place of, of protection and Mm. saying, okay, this is not me. This is my art. This is what I'm doing. When in reality, what I realized is we are our art in so many ways. And so, you know, damn hell yeah. as an actor, um, of course now everything is, is taped at home. Um, but let's say yeah. I, I'll do it, a take um, of a scene that I have an audition for and I mess up the line or something is weird. If there's, if the scene as a whole is still good, Oftentimes I will still send it in and it's still, mm. it still ends up being, you know, if it's, if it was a good, a good take, it was a good take and it still lands and it still um, it means something because those little human moments are, are great. Um, same thing with, with poetry or with screenwriting. I'm like, oh man, sometimes mm. if I, I mess up, um, a word or I accidentally delete something or cut it then and I don't always do this but sometimes I'll just leave it I'll be like okay I think you wanted that I'll, I'll trust yeah. it that's it yeah I've heard like from a lot of my actor friends like taking on more because of like having to do more shit yourself this yeah. past year that it's like added sometimes a sense of like stress and or like self-consciousness of like I'm not used to seeing myself yeah. this oh my god it, it is it is a very strange thing I was talking to one of my friends about this the other day in our jobs we're never going to unless we're also directing ourselves and you know we we, we are a badass um, but maybe someday, not quite yet. But until that point, we're never going to be watching our own takes. We're never going to be looking directly back at the monitor after we just did a scene and examining ourselves. And we're not going to have to choose the take for the final edit. Those are all jobs mm. that, you know, are incredibly important and that are not given to the actor as well. And so mm. it's definitely strange uh, having all auditions as self-tapes because now not only are we, you know, working on the material, learning the lines and having to perform, but we also have to do our own setup, lighting, right. hair, costumes, makeup. I mean, we did that anyway, but, um, you know, it feels more important now because it's like we can no longer walk into a room and feel like we can communicate exactly who we are. And I'm saying we, um, because, you know, some of my, my closest people in my life are actors as well. And I feel like I talk about this yeah, a lot yeah, with them, yeah. but, um, it's a strange thing. It's a strange thing. I editing mm. myself and I'm sure a lot of other people feel this way. And maybe you feel this way as well doing the podcast. It's a strange, it's a strange thing because you don't always know how to see yourself from an objective perspective. I, that rhymed. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I end up, you know, sending like two takes of a scene or having my mm. representation help me pick um, what yeah. is the best take because I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I've been trying to get to that place more recently of like, I have no idea. And I can like reach out to people like you're saying, yeah. which is like, I feel like old me is like, if I just think about it long enough, I will know. <laughs> And like, I don't know if it's ever 
like fully possible to see outside of yourself. But it's tricky when you're like for practicality or whatever, like trying to make your own shit or make those calls yourself. I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to ask for more feedback recently. And it's like a, a challenging thing to ask of somebody. But I'm trying to remind myself that people are nice and willing to check stuff out. People are wonderful. And also it's it's a really amazing exchange between friends or peers, I think. Mm. To say like, okay, I, I trust you to tell me your artistic opinion of this. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool thing. It's, you know, very, again, buzzword of this whole podcast, apparently. Vulnerability. There we go. Do you feel <laughs> like your identity... Um, Maxine and I, also for the podcast listener, just traded fist pumps into the air. And it was nice. Um, we had our little like, like uh, breakfast club moment. <laughs> I've actually never seen the breakfast no, club. No, Mackin. I'm a, this is a big blind, an wow. embarrassing blind spot for me. You know, it's not embarrassing. It's not embarrassing at all. I, I, I'm deeply ashamed and I have to go. <laughs> okay, nice talking to you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know... When you do, if you do, I should say, eventually watch it, I would be so curious to hear your thoughts because I feel like it mm. does not age very well. There's a <laughs> lot of things in that that are very interesting to look at from a contemporary Word. perspective. For sure. Classic stuff from the past. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I feel like I, it's referenced so much, though. I have so much like peripheral knowledge of it. Um, I, do you have any like big blind spots where people are like, you've never seen the, oh, God. this? I've never seen Rocky. Horrible to and, admit. Uh, I was supposed to have seen it in film school and I think I missed that day, but still knew how to talk about it in essays and that's uh, film school for you. But I've never seen any of the Rockies. Um, I've never seen Rain Man. And my family makes fun of me about that all the time for some reason. That's like... They always roast me on that. They're like, how have you not seen Rain Man? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it just happened. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've never seen Forrest Gump all the way through. I've seen, mm -hmm. like, the entire movie in pieces or in chunks, mostly when it's been playing on TV. But I've never yeah. sat and watched it beginning to end. It's a very chunkable movie, I feel like. I feel like that movie is chunks. It is. It is chunks. It's like you're in a hotel room and there's a little bit of it on TV and you're like, I guess I'll just watch this while I'm like blow drying my hair, you know? Yeah. What are the things, what are the big movies of your life that uh, are those like touchdowns for you? Oh my God, that's such a great question. Um, well, continue on, on the dinosaur thing. One of the reasons why I was yes. so into dinosaurs as a kid was because of Jurassic Park. Um, yeah, that will always be. I've never seen Jurassic Park. Oh my god, it's so good! It's so wonderful. I gotta say it. I my 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 family and I um, were all uh, very much into Stranger Things, and my brother had never seen it, and so I, I was with them um, for a month towards the beginning of the pandemic last year, and we were showing my brother Stranger Things, and then we were showing him a bunch of '80s movies that. Um, obviously the show takes inspiration from and Jurassic Park was one of them. And mm. I was like, man, this movie, talk about a movie that does age well, like really great. Mm. 
the effects are amazing because Spielberg, just like with Jaws, doesn't show the dinosaurs as much as possible. So it's sort of up to your mm. imagination and it's so much more powerful because, you know, they tried to do that so they would avoid having these crazy effects. But the dinosaurs mm. you do see, they're all puppets or animatronics and it looks so real and so good. It's like watching the old, the original Star Wars trilogy where everything mm. looks so real and has texture and grit yeah, and you yeah, believe yeah. the world because it's not a, a CGI, um, you know, alien. It's it's a, a guy with a mask. Yeah. But Jurassic Park, to circle back to what you originally asked. Um, yeah, that was a big one Definitely a big one for me. And So sick. Yeah, I... I will always love that movie. Um, also, Beasts of the Southern Wild is another really big one for me that sort of shaped my love of filmmaking and um, wanting to go to film school. Um, same with the... What about it? Just the score, the storytelling in that film. Um, I know nothing about this film. It is. It's amazing. It's... And I... I hope that I am remembering. I have not seen it in, in a while, but um, it follows this young girl um, played by um, Quavenjene Wallace. And I remember she was nominated for an Academy Award after that film. And she was the youngest person. I I think I may be wrong. Maybe Jacob Tremblay beat her after a room, but she was only nine, I think, at the time. And it follows. Hey. Yeah. So cool. It follows this young girl um, in this place in uh, Louisiana called the bathtub. Um, after a hurricane and she and her father are displaced in, in their community. And she imagines that the hurricane was caused by these um, mythical beasts. And it's sort of like magical realism and seeing a natural disaster yeah. through the eyes of a child. And it is such wow. a beautiful movie. Uh, it, it's just, it's really, it's really great. That's another big touchstone for me. I think growing up. Damn. Yeah. That's sick. So you went to film school and not theater school? No, I, yeah, I was in, um, I was in film school at USC. I was a theater minor. Never actually completed my minor, believe it or not. Um, the school did not release my degree to me for a year after I graduated because I forgot to drop my minor officially. And I was like, this is interesting. I'm not receiving my degree in the mail. And then realized, oh, that's because I'm still apparently enrolled. And so um, according to my degree, I'm uh, one year later graduate than I actually was. But yeah. Screw those guys. Film school. My name is spelled wrong on my degree. No way. <laughs> I never changed it. No. I was too lazy to change it the whole time. It's it's not kind of, spelled right. It's just there's a <laughs> <laughs> there's just a capital K in Mackin. Like like a Scot like, like a Scottish McKin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I so love that for you. Fun. That is very fun. <laughs> that's weird as hell. That's amazing. It is fun. It, yeah, I feel like it's a nice like. Yeah, it's like this mat like lol. Yeah, you it's know? like oh, oh god. Okay, school. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Um, has your identity as an artist, like being, oh wait, film school, theater school, studying film in college. I want to hear more about oh, that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I feel very lucky to have that education. Um, it was incredible. It was, 
you know, really, I feel lucky that I, you know, I think as a kid got a pretty good accidental film education from my parents because they have great taste mm. in movies and they did this thing with my brother and I, which I definitely want to do for my kids, where um, after school, we would, before we could watch Disney Channel or Nickelodeon, we would have to watch an episode of one of their favorite shows from when they were growing up. So we had all these box sets wow. of like Gilligan's That's Island. Sick. Yeah, I Dream of Jeannie, Brady Bunch, Beverly Hillbillies, um, all these, you know, old older TV shows that, that they loved. And it really it, it was cool because I think it gave me a, an, a wider idea of what film and TV was and is um, that mm. just got I, I got it to expand on it in school, which is really fun. And um, one of the great things I think about being able to study film in, in a university setting is taking those classes that are super specific and really dive into one period in history or one specific type of filmmaking. Um, like I remember I took one year a uh, queer theory class that was a graduate class and there was another undergrad in the class with me, but it was mostly grad students and a super small class. There was like 12 of us and the teacher was amazing. Um, and it was so fun because our, our whole focus um, the whole semester was on queer cinema, specifically contemporary, and it was it was awesome. So I love I, I loved getting to, you know, dive deep with no floaties. Yeah. <laughs> That's so sick. Thanks. <laughs> that was like one of the I know like so little about film, but one of the coolest things about which is another thing I want to talk to you about is the Echo Park Collective. Oh and, um, <laughs> that you you were you hosted yes. the uh, like a viewing of, of disclosure. Um, the Netflix movie by and about trans people and the relationship on screen and like that was the most fascinating thing to me that like like people finding their identity through representation in like film and tv but also the like the dark sides of that and the like problematic representations and just like yeah the like history of film and like history of queer trans identity yeah my god that was just like that was mind-blowing that movie is is awesome it's so good it was mind-blowing for me too and i was like man i was supposed to have studied a lot of this in school and it just you know it just goes <laughs> to show how far um i think programs still have to go in terms of inclusivity and and mm. and telling more stories than just you know a, a classic narrative of um whether it's on the production front of someone, you know, like Steven Spielberg, who's incredible. And, um, you know, we, we definitely did study, um, versus, you know, people, um, who are less represented. So. Yeah. What made you, what made you uh, tell me about starting this Echo Park Collective? Yes. Um, Echo Park Collective. So it actually started initially as Echo Park Ladies. Um, and Word. I started it, I think in the fall of 2019, Teen, and I was. And how would you describe? Sorry, to how would you describe what it is for for the uninitiated? Great. So those of you at home, um, Echo Park Collective is a um, a group that is run by and run for um, people in the LA community or beyond who want to give back. Um, mostly community of young artists, and 
you know, it started, um, I started it out of my literal kitchen and my, my old apartment in Apple Park um, because I wanted to uh, start volunteering locally. I, I had been volunteering um, up until the pandemic at um, the California Wildlife Center and working with animals, mostly birds. But I was like, damn, I want to get back to humans too. Um, when I was in high school, I, I, I did a couple of, of things uh, working at the women's shelter and, and other places and um, just mm. wanted to get back into that. And I thought my friends would as well. So I started like a dinner party, um, you know, every few months to, to get ideas and, and find places to volunteer and to get back. And we just mm. started to um, raise money and we went to the LA food bank and had more things on the horizon. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, yeah. damn, this is so unfortunate. And it actually ended up being um, an incredible way into what I actually was trying to get at with the group, which is a more immediate response to things happening in the world and in the community. Uh, because in mm. May and June, um, when protests began happening in not only Los Angeles, but around the, the world and, and around the United States, um, we came together as a collective and I, I opened it up. I was like, why is this just called Echo Park Ladies? It should be everyone. Um, and we used social media to start raising money for Black Lives Matter and for the Okra Project, which is you know where we, um, we screened disclosure for. Um, and we did things like bake sales and uh, drives and letter writing letters to representatives to try and get justice for uh, Breonna Taylor and a, a bunch of different things um, sort of spanned the board. And then at uh, the end of 2020, um, we had our first uh, arts magazine, Meliorism, which launched our first issue, which was really exciting. Mackin, thank you for performing and for being a part of it. Oh, it was a true honor. It was so cool. Truly an honor. And we're hopefully um, within the next uh, couple of weeks going to start getting submissions for the next issue. Oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely a tough thing now that the world is getting back to a place of, I think, busyness and connectivity um i'm like oh i don't want this to fall by the wayside and it yeah it's tough because when you start something in a time of stillness once things start to pick mm. back up it, it can be very easy to be overwhelmed and um i definitely am trying to be better at that and not letting myself get overwhelmed by things and trying to manage everything at the same time and um Mm. I don't want Echo Park Collective to fall by the wayside. So. Mm. I mean, hats off to you. It's like so fucking cool. I feel like I get so overwhelmed as an individual just being like, I, I am powerless. I have no, I can do nothing. <laughs> and I want to just like, you know, crawl into my bed and stay there forever. <laughs> and I feel like it's really cool what you've done. And in terms of like, having other people like finding a way to like harness that energy that people have of like wanting to help Thank wanting you. to talk about stuff and i just feel like i've learned a lot from the conversations that y'all have hosted and um yeah just like way to way to fucking organize and get shit done that's super cool thank you so much it's been amazing and i i feel grateful for 
for the community and um, to have such incredible friends like you who, who come out and support. And I'm like, damn, people are so good. Like there are really are truly good people in the world that, that want to help and, and do their best. Um, and I'm grateful to know them and to be surrounded by them. <laughs> so sick. I know we're both big fans of Jordan Kessler. Oh, honorable, yes. Honorable mention. Jordan, she's wonderful. <laughs> I know she had a big, uh, has a big hand. Oh, yeah. Echo Park Collective. Yeah, she well. helps me. She helps me run it. Yeah. When did y'all meet? Um, we met in college um, during a class. I want to say it was International Cinema 2. We have to, you know, super fun. We just take all these international cinema classes. Love them. Um, very, very fun. Mm. And Jordan and I were in the same discussion section. And I remember I was like, damn, this girl's really cool. And we started becoming friends through that. And um, at the end of the semester, it was the end of the school year. We were like, let's hang out this summer. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. And then, of course, we never hung out. It was one of those things where we would always like one person would text the other and say, oh, are you free? And then wouldn't be, wouldn't be free. And eventually, um, like a year later, we became real life friends. And then um, over the course of the past year, uh, we become closer through doing Echo Park Collective stuff. And I was like, hey, can you, can yeah. you help me with this? <laughs> You're very good at this. And she has such great ideas and is so, so smart and driven and just a brilliant person so i'm very lucky to know her hell yeah y'all y'all are inspirational Um, i'm curious as far as someone who's like my identity as far as being an artist has like been in a very different context in the last year Mm. in terms of like little to no performing and like some of that has been cool in terms of who am i when I'm not being the artist yeah. and just like, I'm just a guy. And like, <laughs> that's kind of nice to like build some confidence in that arena. But also, yeah, I'm curious if the last year as an artist has like felt different for you um, with the like different circumstances and if that has like changed your relationship to any part of it. It definitely, definitely has. I mean, I think... I definitely was in a position before all of this um, where I wasn't really doing a great job of always taking care of myself. I would schedule things all day. I was working two jobs and also auditioning and uh, trying to just begin, you know, writing and and also be a person and be a friend. And um, it was it was very overwhelming. And I have learned throughout the course of this time that being the best artist I can be, whether that is as a writer or as a performer, or, um, you know, I, I was very lucky to make a a short film, um, uh, this past summer during the pandemic, um, that I wrote and produced even, you know, in that context, I'm not able to do those things unless I'm also taking care of myself. And so I've learned that, for me, being an artist is so deeply intertwined with being able to meditate, being able to 
Mm. take space for my own thoughts and have genuine quiet time every day, whether that's mm. before I go to bed or when I wake up or just finding a moment in the day. Um, and also being able to do things that no one else sees. I think that's a huge thing. Mm. I definitely had this mindset for a long time and, you know, I still find myself on bad days or in certain moments slipping into this again of, oh man, I have to, everything that I make has to go somewhere. Everything I make, either mm. I have to send it to someone or I have to show it to someone or it has to be published or I have to post it on, you know, the internet or totally. It, it, I have to make it someday. And totally being able to recognize that, hey, you know, sometimes I'm going to write things or film things that, not even that it's necessarily bad, Although most of them are, um, it's like, oh man, I, I just, this is just for me. This one's not yeah. going anywhere, and that's really powerful too. It's like, you know, the whole yeah, if it. That's wisdom. Thanks. <laughs> like, are, are we still an artist if what we make is not being shared with the world? You know. Uh, Whoa. Hey. That's fucking sick. It's like a version of, you know, <laughs> if a tree falls in a forest, is there a sound? And I think, I really genuinely do think that, yes, mm. you are still an artist. And in that way, we can still be, we can still claim that title, even in right. moments when we're not performing or not sharing things. Like, you can be in your incubation and in your cocoon and making mm. music and writing and, you know, painting, drawing and doing it just for yourself. And that doesn't, we shouldn't be so harsh on ourselves to say like, oh, I'm not a real artist because no one's mm. buying my work. Mm. Damn. I think I needed to hear that. that absolutely <laughs> rips. It's hard when you're just like scrolling through Instagram. Everyone's like, look at all the shit I've made. And you're like, Damn it. It's really hard. It's really hard. <laughs> One of my best friends is an incredible costume designer. And I was talking to her the other day about the commodification of creativity that exists mm. on social media platforms. And I have a, mm, I have a tumultuous relationship with Instagram. I feel like I'm constantly deleting it and then bringing it back. And I just, I do not Sorry. like it, but it, I feel like I... Who's like... <laughs> <laughs> who's like, I 100% love it. No negative <laughs> experiences. You know, that is a great question. I would love to find someone who feels that way because I have so many questions for them. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you, though. It's a, it's a lot. It's terrible, and it makes you feel like you have to always be churning things out. And so much of it is forced, and... You know, when you're working in a medium that is more easily shared on social media, which is definitely not for me, like I can't share my anything I'm working on as an actor and I until it's been mm -hmm. released and I can't share anything I'm working on as a writer on Instagram. So I'm I've escaped from this part, but I know a lot mm -hmm. of my friends feel like the words art and content are have become interchangeable mm. and yeah that's a really troubling thing mm. damn hell yeah 
What's the short film that you made? Um, last summer that you alluded to. Yes, it is. Is this Kenobi? No. Oh my gosh! I wish I was a part of writing that. No, that that was. I want to hear more about that as well, but I want to hear about your movie. Oh, cool. Um, uh, I wrote it with um a friend, and we we co-wrote it based on a short story that I wrote while in college about these three mm. friends that go on a road trip, um, looking for aliens in the American Southwest, and. They're yes. also looking for um, the oldest guy's mother because um, they're three foster kids, and mm. it was really, it was really cool. It was definitely tough filming something. Obviously, during the pandemic, we had a super, yeah. super small crew, super small cast. Um, everyone mm. had to be tested, and we filmed it in right outside LA, um, sort of like north of LA. Palmdale, that area, um, and also in Nevada. We went out to Rachel, Nevada, which is this town outside of Area 51, which is Rachel, so Nevada. badass. Yeah, it's Damn, so that's cool. Sick. It's like a population of, I want to say, 53 people, and it's this tiny Damn. town, and they're right outside of Area 51. I wish you could see my computer right now. I have my my Rachel, Nevada sticker um, on my computer. But, oh, hell yeah. Um, yeah, it was fun getting to go out there. That's been a dream of mine. I was in high school. I was obsessed with ancient aliens. I know, so problematic in so many ways. I'm so sorry. Past Maxine, no, she it's... didn't understand. <laughs> Present Maxine does. I'm like, oh, God. But I used to be obsessed with aliens, so like... it was fun. Fuck yeah. I, I, don't know the, uh, I don't know the problems or the... Uh... I just... I... I think that there's a lot of this like ancient astronaut theory stuff that um, discredits a lot of um, ancient cultures, especially like the Mayans and the Egyptians oh, right. saying like, oh, aliens built these things. And it's like, no, it was just uh, indigenous peoples. Been... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not aliens. <laughs> so, Damn. yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It's a fun deep dive. If you're ever bored, I yeah. have like a million deep dives constantly. The internet is a dangerous place for me because I find myself going down holes and then it's 1 a.m. and I'm like, oh, I know way too much about this one specific thing that I never wanted to know. <laughs> and hopefully I have a good trivia game someday and I can win. <laughs> <laughs> we need more like benevolent conspiracy theories in a day and age mm. where conspiracy theories are... Uh, very dangerous oh and my god and have you seen the QAnon like, documentary i have not i listened to there was a podcast that new york times did called the rabbit hole Ooh. um that i would highly recommend um but they they touched on a lot of QAnon stuff in there so i feel like i got my i got my QAnon fix yeah but everyone says it's sick do you watch it i have been watching it i'm i think i'm on the third episode it's it's fascinating. I feel like it's yeah. almost more of a character study for the people that are mm. in the documentary than it is necessarily all about or, QAnon, at least at this point. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating and terrifying thing. Yeah. My like takeaway from that podcast was just like, damn, I think that we're all a lot more susceptible to like being like sucked in to intellectual like fallacies and shit than we like to think that we are you know i mean we we want answers and we want for things to make sense and when someone presents you with an answer for something it's 
you know, we always want to believe people. So mm. I can understand like it's easy and it's scary when you feel like you're sucked into something. Yeah. What this movie you made called? Is it available? <laughs> it can is, people watch it? It is not available yet. It's called Signs of Life. Um, Signs of Life. I, I am not sure. Um, I'm not involved with the editing process. I, I was merely okay. uh, right. one of the co-writers, and I'm also in it, um, and I produced it. But I do not where? know where exactly we are in the editing process right now, but um, hopefully it will be done in the next couple of months or so. Yeah. Excited. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like wearing those different, those three different hats of co-writer, actor, and producer? It was interesting. When I was in school, I was a producer on a couple of short films. Um, and I really like being a producer. I really enjoy the minutia of scheduling yeah. and writing call sheets for people and sending all the emails and booking the sites and booking the locations. And mm. I just really like that. Um, That's it. it is very, I know so little about what the term producer means in a film context. It, basically when you're the producer, you are the one that is organizing the logistics of everything. And of course that mm -hmm. I only know that in terms of a short film, <laughs> very low budget context. I do not know what it's like to be a producer on a large TV show, for example. And I know that, you know, th there's different tiers and, you know, when you're an executive producer, you're more financially um, uh, tied in, whereas when you're a, a line producer or producer, you're, you're doing more of the groundwork. So there's there's different tiers, but it was mm. it was hard producing and also being in it. Um, and yeah. that was just simply because we just had a small a small crew, and we were really trying our best to make the best film possible in the smallest amount of time. Um, safely and, uh, you know, with limited equipment and, and we, it was fun. We, we rented equipment, yeah. um, from a rental house in LA. And so it looked really good and, and it was cool to do a, um, a car mount. I've never been, uh, in a film or a TV show or anything that's used a car mount before. And now every time I watch so a show and they're filming, they're shooting people in the car through the windshield. I'm like, Oh my God, I know that that must've been terrifying. Cause you're basically like putting the camera on this little three legged thing with suction cups that is cranked on to the outside of the car and just hoping that it doesn't yeah. come off while you're driving down and the highway. Rented. And it's on a big car going fast. Yep. Damn. <laughs> but it's wow. fun. It's cool. That's sick. Yeah. That's all very punk rock. Thank you. All of that, like, let's fucking get the shit done. <laughs> and wearing all these hats. So sick. I'm excited to see this movie when it's available to be seen. Thank you so much. Will you tell me about Kenobi? Yes. Um, oh, my gosh. So, so fun and such wonderful people involved. So, um, a few years ago, which is so weird to say at this point, uh, the like fall, winter of 2019, I was in this um, short that uh, this guy, Jamie Costa, wrote and starred in. Um, he is a incredible actor, and he did this Han Solo um, fan film, a Star Wars fan film, a few years prior that 
you know, got millions of views on the internet and made him sort of this, like, a bunch of Star Wars fans kind of um, flocked to him and were like, damn, you're really cool and talented. And his follow-up to that was uh, Kenobi. And we, I played Baru Lars, um, who's Luke Skywalker's uh, aunt in the original uh, Star Wars A New Hope. You'll, if you remember, Luke has an aunt and uncle who are in the film for like five minutes and then they get burned alive. But we, <laughs> my friend Tommy and I played younger versions of them. Um, and uh, Jamie was. That's so sick because it's like, as a fan, you like want to know so much more about them. Exactly. And they're like these kind of really interesting things that are just sort of like put on the table and then left. Yes. And I know Disney is making the Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series. And so I, oh, I know, this I, did not know. I am so excited for that with Ewan McGregor. Do you think they're going to rip off your shit? You know, rip off the movie y'all made. I, I am very curious. That's all I'm going to say. I'm curious to see. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if obviously anyone from Disney has seen it, but we were written up in the New York times, which was a crazy experience. I did not know. So and my sick. friend Dave texted me and was like, yo, what the fuck? Like your pictures in the New York times. And I was like, what? And um, they did a whole article yeah. a few months ago on Star Wars fan films and the spotlight was on Kenobi, which was super cool. And I think it had a lot to do with um, That's awesome. uh, the wonderful James Arnold Taylor, who is a lovely friend of mine that I met doing it. He has been for years mm. the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Clone Wars Disney series. And so he, oh, and yeah. yeah, he's super closely linked with Lucasfilm. He, he also did... I know the voice voices, um, I, I think, uh, for some of the new rides at Galaxy's Edge. And he was in the film. He's one of the, the leads. And so he lent a bunch of credence to it. And um, I think it brought a lot more fans um, to the film because he's a very cool person who's known in the Star Wars fandom. So it was it was fun to get to work with him. And he's an incredible voiceover artist. And um it's definitely a, a big nerd moment for me because I grew up watching Clone Wars. So I was like, oh my God, yeah, it's Obi-Wan yeah. Kenobi. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> Damn, that fucking rocks. Yeah, it was That's so, so cool. cool. It was so, it was so cool. Like, I'm playing it cool right now because I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm like trying to be professional and cool. But oh my God, like, talk about a childhood dream. Um, yeah. Getting to film. We filmed in the, the Trona Pinnacles, which is just really cool area kind of near Bakersfield that looks like Tatooine and yeah oh my god and there was like when we were filming it there were all these dust storms which were very stressful at the time I know for the the crew because you know it was hard to, yeah. to shoot and it was super windy but sure. I remember just sitting in the trailer being like this is so cool yeah <laughs> it was Damn, so fun that fucking rocks. yeah it was awesome that's so cool thanks what else is on the horizon for you oh man um if that's not too loaded of a question <laughs> well um i know one thing on the horizon i mean i i say i say this and who knows because you know i know small things get cut all the time but i am very lucky to have um gotten a, a small job uh in the past couple of months um on this season of american crime story the ryan murphy show um on fx fuck yeah yeah which was really fun it was really cool i feel grateful to have been able to work and we'll see 
my my one my one scene may end up being cut from the show so who knows Whoa. it happens but that was that was fun yeah. and i'm excited for when the show comes out not even because i was yeah. in it i don't i don't care if they cut me out i'm just excited um i love uh i love sarah paulson and beanie feldstein she's so cool and it's all about the um monica Lewinsky moment i don't want to call it a scandal mm. because it's from monica's more of her perspective and um, Word. re-examining, you know, the way that we treated this young woman in the course of that, which is yeah. just horrible. So I'm so excited for that. Yeah. And yeah, right now Damn, it's it. just um, auditioning and moving yeah. into pitching this film in like a week yes. and a half, which is crazy. Fuck yeah. And we'll see what happens. <laughs> All of that owns, all of that crushes. Thanks. And I have one more question for you. And it's a, it's become a, f- a famous segment on this oh, podcast. I'm, and it me. is, of course, Maxine, yes. what you been fucking with? <laughs> oh my God, I love that. Um, ooh, okay, something I've been fucking with really hard right now is Solar Opposites Season 2. Whoa, yeah. I've yet to watch it. It's I'm a fan of everyone involved, and I I gotta check it out. It is so good. I watched it all in one sitting. <laughs> Damn. Something I've been directly fucking with. Today. Um, yes. I have a poopa stuffed animal. The, the poopa, when you do eventually watch it, is one of the characters of the show. It's like this. It's, <laughs> I was enjoying for the three <laughs> seconds, not knowing what poopa. Oh, I'm just never gonna was. explain it. <laughs> So I'm fucking with Poopa. So what I'm else? With Poopa. Long walks. Um, <laughs> let's see. What what else am I fucking with? I am really fucking with Honeybee, which is this place that's down the street from me where I live. Um, it's a vegan burger place. That is like one of my favorite pandemic discoveries. It is so good. And yeah. it's, a, it's a nice little walk. So it's like, oh, I get like a nice mm. neighborhood walk-in and then get a vegan sandwich, maybe a vegan chicken sandwich, maybe a burger, bring it home sometimes, like eat it like on the curb, like a curbside kid, you know, it's great. Hello. It's great. This rocks. What have you? These are the best answers I've heard as far as like. Really? As, I also, the most immediate dive in on the, on the question. <laughs> hey, There's usually no a, a big pause <laughs> and you're just like. This is what I've been fighting with. <laughs> That's exactly what I was looking for. Thank Hell you. Yeah. What about you? I've been fucking with Overnight Oats so hard Ooh. the entire pandemic. Per- very much exclusively the Trader Joe's one. Oh, I, I was like Trader trying Joe's to ones. make it. I truly eat it every single day of my <laughs> life. And <laughs> I don't know what my life would be without it at this point. If they take it away, I think I will be crushed. <laughs> Have you ever tried mush? Um, I like mush. You know what? I enjoy it. I, you know, I was, I was like going, I was like going back and forth for a mm-hmm. second, and then like Trader Joe's shit came out, and then like mush like changed their packaging, and then they changed the recipe a little bit. I was following these overnight oat wars oh that were going on between the God. two. The drama. Just assuming in my head, because <laughs> I think Trader Joe's, it, what Trader Joe's does is like we're, we're gonna take something else and make it our version and maybe do it better yeah. and i think they did it i think they did it better i agree i think they got the idea from mush i agree i love a good overnight oat mm. i tried to make them but 
I can't do it like good old Trader Joe. <laughs> I get, I was like, I was deep in it for a while. I was like blending dates and like Ooh. getting all into it. Oh my I God. couldn't, I can't, Fancy. can't get the, the texture. Can't get the consistency. Yeah. They just crush it. I'm fucking with this dog that I'm dog sitting. Her name is Flo. She's very nice. Oh, She's very sweet. Whoa. She rocks. Miss and She's she's lovely. The probably biggest thing, I'm fucking with Radiohead really hard right now. Ooh. I've like loved them since a teenager, but I've one thing I've been like fucking with is like going through an entire band's like discography that I that I already love. That's really um, fun. The first Yeah. The first band I did a few years ago was was Wilco. Nice. And I was like, this is one of my favorite bands. So many of their records mean so much to me. And I still have these like blind spots. Let me go through all these records and all of the offshoots and, and Jeff Tweedy solo records and then like just kind of and not, and some of it being like not for me and whatever but like I've been trying to do that with bands and I've been doing it with Radiohead recently and just falling in love deeper and deeper with Radiohead. I have a question for you. Uh, yeah. What if you had to pick and maybe you already have thought about this and someone's already asked you this but I don't care I'm going to ask you anyway. If oh, you had to pick um, one band or solo artist who's the first person you get to see live post-pandemic who is it and also what oh, like first show yeah first show yeah whoa this is such a fascinating question damn <laughs> do you have an answer oh man Oh God! Love when it's turned <laughs> back on me. Oh boy! Well, I'm thinking. Uh, I have really, really fallen in love with Adrian Lanker and also Big Thief um, over the pandemic. Yeah, for so many. That might be so many reasons. That might, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just so romantic to me, and and I just adore her, and I love the sound of of Big Thief as well, and I would love to see them. And I love yeah. the Greek. That is like probably my favorite venue in LA. And Same. outside of LA, I really want to go to Red Rocks. That has always been a dream. I've been there several times, but I've never seen a show there. Hell yeah. So I've always That's fucking wanted sick. to see a show out there. Yeah. Same. I have never seen I've never seen a show there, but always just seen like legendary um concerts like filmed there. Yeah. I was going to say the Greek, and as soon as you said Big Thief, I was like, shit, I should have said that, so I'll change my answer. What's your answer? What's your answer? My other favorite venue is the Wiltern, and I feel like I really just miss, like, Inside Show. Yeah. I feel like it's just been a long time since I've seen Inside Show. Inside Show. <laughs> inside Show. Oh, a good Inside um, Show. I mean, I, I, <laughs> Stand, standing around, like, spilling beers on everyone. That's right. It's, I'll see anyone. I'll pay you $200 so to see a shitty band. <laughs> That's how I feel right now. I'm like, okay, I'll just, like, shell it out, please. Give me a chance. Yeah. <laughs> Spill beer on my feet. <laughs> um, yeah. Probably Radio. Maybe Radiohead. I don't know. Um... What else have I been fucking with? I had one more thing to say, but I forgot what it was. Well, magazine. Oh, it's a podcast <laughs> I've tried to turn so many people onto, and oh, it's hard to recommend it? because the name. 
All right, name's kind of wild. Here we go. The name of the podcast is called BigSoftTitty.png, and it's these two Australian comedians, oh. and they're dating, and they're in love, and they're so funny, oh. and they're just giving each other shit, oh. and also, like, yes-anding each other, and they're just so silly, and their names are Tom Walker and Demi Lardner, and they're both, like, straight up the funniest people I've ever known, and it's, like, so dumb and, like, irreverent, but without being, like, regressive, which mm. is, like happens in comedy a lot where it's like oh this is the irreverent shit but it's actually just like hateful and dumb and lazy (laughs) um so it's great because they're like they're on the they're wise and also just like pee pee poo poo (laughs) 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 anyways i've tried I mean, that's all it is right there. And I just, I've tried to recommend this podcast to so many people in my life. And I'm like, I'm trying to get another like Stan mm, going. Mm. Uh, a couple of people that have listened to it and be like, oh yeah, I like this. But I'm trying to find someone that I can that's like nerd out over this podcast with. Well, that's right. I will, I will give it a listen. I will give it a, you gotta I will give, give it, a, it a good old listen for you and let you know maybe it'll inspire me to make my own podcast i'll call it big dumb titty dot zip <laughs> that's friendship right like there. The zip I, hope file. You, I hope you like it thank you <laughs> <laughs> maxine where can people find you where can people find your stuff and and get updated if they want to see this movie of oh, yours when it comes out um all the things where where's best for people to find you i I am not much on the internet. Um, I have a website. Uh, it's maxine-phoenix.com. There's nothing that that, that interesting on there. I got to be honest with you guys. It's just like my headshots and a resume. But <laughs> I um, I will probably be posting on there anything about the film once it's done. Um, I have an Instagram, but I'm not on there very often. I, I'm a terrible, again, I'm a terrible internet person. Like, don't follow me in places because I'm not going to be updating very often. I'm just not good at it. I'm, I'm more of like a, like a real life update type person. Um, maybe mm. someday I'll become better at figuring social media out, but I'm still, still trying to figure out like the best use for me, um, in terms of mental health. But yeah, my Instagram is yeah. just Maxine Phoenix. Sure. And that is all that I have. And I have a LinkedIn, but I don't know why. I'm back from my days of working at a studio. Don't know why I still have that, but it's the weirdest social media besides Venmo. Like, why are we able to like and comment on people's payments to their roommates (laughs) for the monthly electricity bill? I don't know, but I love Venmo as a social media app. It's amazing. Don't follow me on Venmo, though. Quick shout out to Venmo for being the most chaotic and entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. Maxine, thanks so much for making the time. Uh, You're a legend. You're an inspiration. You're the best. A true honor. Thank you. I appreciate it. Double fist pump. I have to pee. That's right. If I don't pee soon, I'm going to die. And so I do have to go. Please go pee. I'm going to give you a deep bow. Farewell. Hopefully, I'll see you in the real world soon. I'll see you in the real world soon. Oh, bow to you as well. Take care, Maxine. Thanks so much. You too. Bye, Mackin. Bye. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking. Happy sad.